The text for the sermon this day is taken from John chapter 3, which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The man Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he comes to visit Jesus at night. Why at night? Because he's afraid. He's worried what people will think, might think by him having this conversation with Jesus. Now this is actually pretty early in Jesus' ministry because I mean, it's only the third chapter. So if you were to go backwards in the Gospel of John, so far what has happened is Jesus had shown up at the Jordan River. He was baptized by John. John said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had called some of his disciples. And by the way, it's not included in John's Gospel, but if you are familiar with the other Gospels, when Jesus called especially Peter, he did a miraculous catch. After they were unable to catch anything all night, Jesus said, throw the net onto the side and they caught the whole bunch. And Jesus said, from now on you'll be fishers of men. Eventually, then, he would go to the wedding at Cana and he would, they would run out of wine and they'd bring several jars of water and he would turn that into wine. And now the most recent episode with Jesus is that he threw out the money changers in the temple. Now there's debate whether or not Jesus did this once or twice, but I'm not going to get into that whole debate. That's a whole, another, that's a whole long topic. So at this point, Jesus is getting, catching people's attention. And so again, Nicodemus is curious. Much like with John the Baptist, when the, ruler, the leaders of the Jews came to him and asked, Who are you? So now Nicodemus is wondering who Jesus is. So he comes and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He starts with Rabbi, a title of respect. So he's not coming with the intent of mocking Jesus. There are people later in Jesus' ministry who would mock him with such greeting, but by calling him Rabbi, it was a sign of respect. And he knows that Jesus came from God. He's just not sure who he is. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a weird statement. How would you be born twice? Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? 
You know, sometimes when you read your Bible, you come across a saying, and as you read it, you think, what did I just read? And you know what? It is okay to think that. Many people think, oh, i got to get a translation that I can understand it better. Or, you know, or sometimes they say, you know what? I give up. I'm just not going to learn anymore. Remember, Nick, Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation. Nicodemus is like one of the great teachers of his people. And Jesus is not speaking in Swahili to him. He's speaking Nicodemus' own language. He has the absolute best translation there is, and Nicodemus still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. So if you don't understand what Jesus says sometimes, it's okay. You're in good company. How often do you read about the disciples going, huh? Yeah. The disciples heard it in their own language, and they still didn't understand Jesus. If you don't understand, guess what you do? Keep learning. Keep reading. Keep studying. Sometimes pastors ask, how do you know what you know? And the answer is, go into my office. You can see a whole bunch of books. And not to mention on my iPad, I have a program that's called Logos. It's got literally, got about 15,000 books on it for me to research and dig and dig and dig into that's how pastors know what they do is because they read and they read and they read. And you know how those people know stuff? Because they also read. Because all of them are quoting other people. That's how you learn. Jesus answered him, How are you, and are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So it is Nicodemus coming at night. In part, it does have to do with his fear. But there's also a bit of symbolism going on that John wants to make sure you catch. John is the one who begins the gospel talking about the light shining in the darkness. It's John's gospel that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Nicodemus coming at night is symbolic of the, simple, the heart reality of Nicodemus. Nicodemus dwells in darkness. He is looking for answers. And right now he dwells in the darkness hidden from truth. Darkness is the reality that literally every single one of us is born into. You are born a sinner. And by consequence of that sin, you are born into darkness. You are born into a world that is filled with darkness. To put it in the words of Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. You are no different. You live in a darkened world. You were born into darkness. Your sins of thought, your sins of word, your sins of deed, the things you've done, the things you have left undone, your thoughts, all evidence of that darkness that is sin. 
And you are surrounded by the effects of sin, the effects of this darkness. People become sick. People are lonely. People are, have broken families. People fight about anything and everything they can think of to fight about. There's war, there's famine, there's disease, and of course there's death. Darkness is all around you. And even more, there's the darkness of unbelief. The darkness of the lack of faith. Based upon estimates, by 2030, Christianity will no longer be the majority religion. It will be the second or maybe even third biggest religious group. The biggest religious group will be the non-religious. The people who have no faith in anything. The mission field that is around us is growing. And to catch on to the urgency, I don't know if you realize this, but the number of people that we have that are pastors, church workers, that is dwindling very fast. By that same year, 2030, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we'll have enough, pastor, enough pastors for every five churches. And sadly, the seminaries are not filling up fast. Which, by the way, if you ever have an inkling that you want to go to seminary, seek it out. If you want to go to church work, being a Lutheran school teacher, a DCE, a deaconess, whatever, seek it out, because we need all of those things. But the reality is, because the reality is we live in a darkened world. Much like Nicodemus. John 3 ends with those very, or the reading we heard, ended with those very familiar words, for God so loved the world. That is the answer to the darkness. God so loved the world. And we hear, you hear the word so, in English, we can't help but read it as God so loved the world. It's not so much. It's not how the Greek writes. It's for God loved the world thus. In this way, God loved the world. So in other words, Jesus is telling you how God has loved the world. And so this is what he's telling to Nicodemus, who dwells in darkness. That God loved the world, which includes Nicodemus, which includes you. He loved you in this way that he gave his only son. Who's his only son? Jesus. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what does it mean that he gave him? He gave him to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. He was born in order to be crucified, died, buried, and on the third day rise from the dead. And whoever believes in him, note, believes in him. There's a difference between saying, I believe that God exists, and saying, I believe in God. Faith, the better word that some, a lot of translations are starting to translate the word faith as trust. Because it might be more understandable in our culture. 
Trusting in God requires action. It means that there is something that is, that there is, your faith is lived out. And one of the most simple ways of doing that is attending worship. Being in God's word. Receiving the Lord's Supper. That is your faith in action. That is your faith even being recharged. Being refilled. Faith, you've heard the, the words of James, faith without works is dead. He says that for a reason, because there's no such thing as faith without works. Faith, by definition, has works. This is why Luther, in his small catechism, says that if somebody has not received the Lord's Supper at least four times in a year, now we're talking about under normal circumstances. We're not talking about people who have health conditions. We're not talking about people who are still going through confirmation. If somebody has not received the Lord's Supper at least four times in a year, Luther argued, that their salvation should be feared. And the reason is, is because that is a symptom of darkness taking hold of their faith. Because if you truly believe that you are a sinner, if you truly believe that in the Lord's Supper you receive the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you are withholding yourself, either you're calling God a liar about being a sinner, or you decide you don't need his forgiveness. That's why it's a symptom of a faith problem. It's a symptom of darkness. So whoever believes in him, has faith in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so you work your way backwards. Jesus tells him that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is a call back to the book of Numbers. When while they're in the wilderness, the people of Israel complained. That's kind of the norm for them. If any of you have ever traveled with kids, a lot of times they complain, are we there yet? I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need to go to the bathroom. I don't know if they complained about the bathroom to God, but they definitely complained about food, drink, when, when are we getting there? They complained. And so God unleashed serpents amongst them. Many were bit. And the only way that they could be saved, the only way they would be healed of this poison, was by looking upon the, son of man, upon the bronze serpent. And so also us, when we look upon Christ, we who have been bit by the serpent that is the devil, bit by sin, covered in darkness, as we look upon Christ on his cross by his blood, in the action where he loved, our, loved you, so you are healed. He told Nicodemus that the spirit moves where it wills. Meaning that we don't know how, when, or where the Holy Spirit's going to take hold of someone. Vanquishing the darkness within someone. He moves where he wills. 
Yes, your task as Christians is to point people to the cross. Point them to salvation. But the thing is, is that, for one, you don't convert anybody. The Holy Spirit does all the converting. Secondly, you may tell someone about your faith, and you know what? They may not listen to you. And it may not be you who God, where God does the final action. Someone may come to faith when they're 99 years old. And they might be sitting there, I know I remember what my grandmother used to say to me. And something or another, all of a sudden, God just kicks them in the behind and they wake up. And you know what? Whether you're first, you come at the first hour or the last hour, the blessing of salvation is all the same. And if somebody doesn't listen to you, you know what else you could do? You could just do this wonderful thing. Pray. Pray for the person. And you confront somebody who doesn't have faith. You don't confront them with judgment. Say, how dare you? I can't believe you don't believe. Instead, you come with, hey, I love you. And I want you to know Jesus. Come at it from love, compassion. Not anger, not like, oh, I can't believe you. Come at it. I love you, and I want you to have the most important thing that exists. And then finally, going farther backwards, that which is born of this, he says, whoever, um, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Where are you born of water and the Spirit? Baptism. Clothed in Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit in that wondrous means of grace. So in other words, as you work it backwards, John 6, 3, 16 is, is telling you that God loved the world. The raising of the serpent is showing, is calling to the cross where that is how God won salvation for you. And then going back to your baptism, that is how he delivered that grace unto you. And he continues to deliver to you every time you hear the word, every time you receive absolution, every time you receive the Lord's Supper. So that on the day that you or on your deathbed, you might hear, maybe that the pastor gets a chance to visit you to do the commendation of the dying. doesn't always happen. But that third verse of that hymn we just sang is part of that commendation of the dying. Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom bear me home that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. And then from death awaken me that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. I've heard of pastors when they've sung that at the bedside the person passes. Because just as he said, Lord, let at last thine angels come 
Indeed, the angels had come to take that person, to bring them where Abraham rests, where Abraham is. And soon that body is laid into the ground. In that narrow chamber, keep my body safe and peaceful sleep for the day when Christ will come and say, wake up. And you will awaken. And your eyes, these eyes, whether you have glasses like me and are blind without them, or you are literally blind, you will 